You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Eric Huberman. And Eric is the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, which is a full-service outsourced CMO consultancy. And Eric's been on the show before. Oddly enough, you know, you may have heard of him in episode two of Growth Experts when we launched, Jesus, well over a year and a half ago now. So I'm excited to have him back. Again, he's got a full-service, you know, CMO consultancy you know, started the business in 2014, has grown very, very rapidly from just a handful of employees to over 170 employees now, has serviced 400 plus brands, a lot of which you probably know, like Red Bull and HP and Verizon. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. And he's also been ranked two times on the Inc. 5000. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're a hard guy to nail down. You travel a lot. You're always <laughs> bouncing around. Yep. And I appreciate you being here today because in our last conversation that we had in episode two, we talked a lot about your journey of startup to Inc. 500, right? You had this really rapid growth and, you know, that's always a lot of fun to talk about. It allows me to reminisce a little bit because my, one of my last businesses was a part of the Inc. 500 for many, many years and we were very blessed and had a lot of fun doing that. But today we're going to talk about, we're going to pivot a little bit. We're going to include that. We're going to kind of take a little bit different perspective on it. Today we're going to talk about how to maintain rapid growth at scale as your business continues to grow. Because as we all know, it's easy to double a penny. It's easy to double a dime. It's hard to double 10 million bucks, right? So we're going to talk about that and how the strategy needs to change and evolve for every growing business. But before we do, give us a quick update. Tell us a little bit what's going on. I know you got a big event coming up. Yeah. I know you've got some big announcements coming up. Give us a little bit of a catch up here and we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So past year and a half, we've grown from, yeah, we've grown to about 170 full-time people. I think we we're at 120 when we talked last. We launched a venture fund. So we're doing a lot of investing now in companies in our ecosystem. We opened a New York office. We have offices in LA and New York. We bought two other agencies. As you mentioned, we have our annual event, our summit called Hawk Fest, coming up on Thursday, which is about 450 different brand owners coming together to basically teach each other, network, have a lot of fun. It's magic themed at a Harry Houdini's estate in LA, so it should be a good time. The day before, meaning tomorrow, we are announcing our partnership with the city of LA to run e-commerce week starting next year, first week of October, to really help a lot of the local businesses throw their own events and build a community around e-commerce and really help all these guys connect and host people, et cetera. So having some of the bigger brands here host different events, as well as hopefully having people come to town, et cetera, to see LA really is the center of e-commerce. So building all that out, along with having fun, got married, you know, a lot of different life events. Are I going. saw that. I saw yeah. that. You got married, you went on a nice honeymoon, you, you're awesome. settling down, you know, you're that young entrepreneurial guy, and now you've 
put some roots in with the business and now you've got yep. your wife. So that's exciting. You yep. live right in the LA area, right? Yeah, Santa Monica. Cool. So just for the sake of trying to make sure that we have some context for the listeners, take 30 seconds and explain exactly what Hawk Media does. Because my sure. description of this whole outsource CMO consultancy might be a little bit confusing. Give it to them like a fourth grader. Yeah, no, totally. So the whole mission of Hawk Media is to make great marketing accessible. So we act as an outsource CMO, meaning chief marketing officer and marketing team to companies. So we go into a brand, we look at all they're doing in marketing, we run a whole audit, and then we identify where the holes are, whether they're falling short or not doing something at all. And then we have a team of you know, 170 different marketing experts from like Facebook advertisers to email marketers to designers to, you know, fractional CMOs, just any piece you might need. And we'll basically spin them up on an a la carte month to month basis for that brand so that we can be super flexible, plug in where we need, ebb and flow as we need to and help companies grow. And so for example, so rather than someone hiring a full-time CMO or a full-time Facebook ad marketing guy, they can come in and basically you consult with them and you're, it's almost like a fractional, right? Where they pay, yeah. they pay for a portion of that. For startups especially, that's huge, right? Obviously, at yeah. some point in their journey, they may want to bring somebody on full-time. But early on, that's a big pill to swallow, $100,000, $300,000 sometimes for, for high-level guys. Well, and having a head of marketing in a company at a pretty early stage makes sense. Like you want someone spearheading it. But having a full-time Facebook marketer, having a full-time email marketer, like a lot of that stops making sense. What we see is these companies end up operating in a vacuum. And so as there's ebbs and flows in all these platforms and where you should spend your money, they're all trying to keep up, but they don't have the insight we do. We manage actively. So you use the 400 plus number. We're actively managing 500 companies marketing right now. We've worked with over 2,000. So we can look at what is working, what's not, what's happening in the ecosystem. And my, one of my favorite negative examples of this is when the CMO of Pepsi went on stage and claimed that agencies are worthless, nobody needs agencies, fired all his agencies. And a month later, they came out with their in-house commercial that they developed, that Kendall Jenner ad that was pretty atrociously bad, because nobody's going to tell the CMO it's a bad idea, unless they're an agency or someone working outside of it that's not dependent on the company. And so having that outside perspective is super important. And it's, it's a balance. There's things that make sense to have in-house, things that make sense to outsource. And it's at different stages of the company, it's different things. And that's what we're trying to create is that flexibility to create that value when it's needed and back off when it's not. All right. So I think that's a perfect pivot. You know, you yeah. mentioned some, you said different strategies at different times, at different, yep. you know, different periods of a company's growth. You know, now that kind of brings me into what we wanted to talk about today, which is maintaining rapid growth uh-huh. at scale, right? So your first year you did, you know, you were a small consultancy and then you hit seven figures and then you hit multiple seven figures. Yeah. And now you're, I think you're over $10 million, you know, oh, uh, yeah, annual recurring revenue. So ultimately, you know, the things that worked when you first started, I'm sure some of them are still working, but the strategy as a whole to continue to see rapid growth, where you're talking about 100% growth year over year, those strategies have to change, right? They have to right. evolve. So I think it's really important for everybody here to understand that even if you're still that, you know, that startup that's doing 300, 500, 700, a million dollars in sales, you need to start thinking about these things now because those yeah. things don't just happen. That type of expertise, those types of, you know, that type of talent, that type of infrastructure that you can't just snap your fingers and think that that's going to magically appear. So right. I want you to guide us through this a little bit and talk yeah. to us a little bit about maybe on your personal perspective of how it's worked for you and then sure. how you would advise, you know, some of your clients to go through this type of yeah. 
And it's really industry factored too. So it's not just the stage of the company, of course, but yeah. the type of business you are. Because if you look at the agency side of things, agencies don't get much over 15, 20 million in revenue before they have to open new offices. Like you see it over and over again with the agencies that break through and start growing. They have multiple offices. Don't reinvent the wheel. Look at what other people are doing in your industry. Like as special as everybody thinks their business is, there's a lot of things that do correlate. And so that's one. The other one is M&A becomes a thing. People buying smaller companies. And really what it comes down to is there's this chart I saw a while ago where it's like your profit growth looks like this or your revenue growth. Every business kind of tapers off and slows down like this. And the idea is when you start to taper off, start a new profit center or revenue stream that can have that same growth. And so you just keep building off of it. The difference is when you're a founder of a company, you're driving this first one. But when it starts to have multiple, you can't be the only one driving. So now you need the executives and the team and the infrastructure and all that to help these other businesses. And you become more of overseer and coordinator and strategic thinker than you are an operator and a driver. And so making getting to that next step is very difficult. Like with our own business, the first three and a half years, I drove vast majority of business at this company and then realized like, again, if I wanted to maintain, no problem. I can just keep working, whatever. We'll, it will be a great business. But if I really wanted to grow, I had to start bringing on a sales team and building that out in a way that I like, hadn't done already. Like I had a couple of salespeople, but like me and a couple of salespeople, I was still 85% of revenue. So it's figuring out like, how can I step out of sales? What's the way to eject myself from this so that it can operate and I can scale that? So then figure that out. Then it was, okay, so we've now got this sales team here, we're growing, et cetera. But like, now I need to figure out a way to like scale a sales team. And just hiring a few more heads doesn't do anything because we could be generating the same amount of leads. So now I'm just distributing leads across more people. That turns into the same amount of businesses, assuming they have all the same close rate. So how do we get more leads in? And then it comes to a point where, okay, we're kind of hitting the cap here from what we've seen every other business in our industry do in one territory. Territory expansion becomes an interesting thing. The other thing that they look at is acquisition buying other agencies. This becomes a thing at our scale. And so again, everyone that hit, we're, we'll do $22 million this year, give or take. So everyone that I've seen at that stage of the business starts looking at territory expansion and M&A. So why wouldn't we do the same? So we start to look at what creative angles can we take on those strategies, but let's start looking at territory expansion and M&A. And so we've bought two agencies now, we've opened up New York, and we're starting to see the benefits of that. The big thing to know about this stuff is buying things takes time. Expanding takes a lot of time to ramp up. And so when you're in the early stages and you want to like, you know, do twice as much business, you just work harder or do a few initiatives and that can drive twice as much business. Now I need a bunch of people to work coordinated and learn from it and pivot and change. And it just takes longer to see those results and optimize. And so growing as fast at scale is frankly impossible. Like, no, almost, I don't know if there's a company in history that after five, six, seven years, unless they had a really bad first few years that just continue to scale faster and faster, or even maintain growth rate. Like that just doesn't exist. I, again, I'm sure there's exceptions to it, but it's not a normal thing at all. And so understanding that so that you kind of mentioned it a second ago, get ahead of it. No, like, you know, we actually didn't. And that was part of our pain point last year was we got to 10 million in revenue in 2000, what was that, 17? And we had no plan to get above that. I had set a plan for the first four years. I really, we stuck to it. We hit every number we wanted to. We did one, two and a half, five, 10 million in revenue. And then we were like, oh, what do we do now? We had no plan from there. And I had to like reset. And it took me a year really to really figure out. And we still grew 50 something percent last year, but it took me a year to figure out how to like really, how this was going to work. And it's still taking time to build the infrastructure to make that work. So now we have a full executive team. We have a head of finance, head of sales, head of marketing. 
head of services and head of people. You need all those people because again, I can't keep on top of this myself. When we buy an agency, integrating it takes all those people, et cetera, as well as maintaining the business because like to keep up also takes effort. And so these are all things that you have to start to build out to maintain and then continue to find those new thing, weight levers to pull that and they take, it's harder and harder as you get bigger. Yeah. So a couple of things I pulled from that. The, one of the first things you said was, you know, the whole concept of success leaves clues. There's other agencies that are already doing what you want to do. Other yep. agencies, other businesses in your industry that have probably already done what you're trying to do. So studying them, researching yep. them, understanding, you know, some of the trying to reverse engineer how they did modeling them definitely never hurts, right? Because you can always yep. put your own tweak on it. But for example, like you said, territory expansion is a very common form of how to one of those levers that you would pull, right? So, and that's something that people have been doing for, you know, whether that be in the agency business, you know, the digital agency, or whether that be in the traditional agency model, I'm sure they've been doing that for, you know, decades, right? Yeah. So that model works. And that model is probably pretty predictable, assuming that you can get the right talent in that new location. So yeah. I think that's an absolute no brainer. That's something that we did at my brokerage and my logistics company. You know, we actually, we had a whole bunch, we had about 70 satellite offices. They were all small, anywhere between two and 20 employees. But that was a huge part of our growth. I mean, a matter of fact, that was probably the largest portion of our growth is growing into those other major markets. So totally agree with you there. The other thing I took away from that was you talked about M&A and you also talked about early on in the update how you've acquired two new companies, right? You uh -huh. acquired two new companies. So, I mean, not only are you talking about M&A, you actually have done a couple of acquisitions and obviously those are, acquisitions are kind of like one of those things where it's a little scary, obviously, because yeah. the first time you do an acquisition, it's always that risk of, you know, what if, what if the revenue falls or what if we lose all the talent or what if the clients migrate, whatever. What did you learn? Tell me a couple things you learned from the yeah. M&A process because you've went through two M&As, which is, you know, in a year, right? Basically, yeah. a, what, a year, year and a half? That's a lot. I mean, most yeah. people don't acquire at that rate, especially when they're, you know, I mean, you're a good size company, but let's face it, you're not a billion dollar company. So right. you don't have those resources to just pour, yeah. pour talent yeah, we, and money on it. So tell us a little bit about what you learned about the M&A process, trying to roll yeah, up. We learned the painful part is not getting the deal done. It's the integration. So it's, bringing their people on board, bringing their clients on board, integrating how they work and how you work. Like you really need someone focused on that. And that was, what, you know, I want to say what we were missing, but that's, that took a lot more effort than we thought it would to get people on board into the way we do things, to make sure that we don't screw up what they're doing for their own clients. Frankly, to do enough due diligence to understand what they're doing for their clients, to look at every contract, to understand it before you close a deal. Like take your time so that when you actually close and it's ready to integrate, Everybody wants to rush these things on both sides and get it done, but it's really important because you start to see, and as an acquirer, frankly, private equity funds and big conglomerates play this game all the time. They draw out the process a little bit just to see what happens with the business because all businesses go through ebb and flows on an ongoing basis and go through fires and go through problems. It's normal, but they want, it's good to see how that other company's handling it. If anything, you know, if there's any skeletons in the closet, et cetera, like taking a little time actually helps that come out. We backed away from a deal because you know the owner had sold me on the fact that they wanted to come on board and they were going to grow this with me, da, da, and then all of a sudden he wanted to take two months off right when the deal closed, and then all of a sudden he started trying to negotiate like a deal that would basically benefit him if he didn't participate. Like I made a deal that was like if you're here and you grow it, you make a lot of money, and all of a sudden he started to renegotiate that stuff. I'm like, you want out, and so you're trying to hand me the bag, 
and make me stuck with it and guarantee you a bunch of stuff. Like it started to not make sense, but that was only came in from drawing it out. If I hadn't have drawn it out a little bit, we probably would have done a deal that I would have been left holding a bag. He wouldn't have been benefiting as much, but he was basically BSing me about the fact that he wanted to stay involved. So yeah, so that's, again, I mean, those are important and sometimes expensive lessons that you learn throughout these new strategies that you're deploying. But, you know, there's no reward without risk. So kudos for you for taking that risk. Remember, and this is not a jab at the companies we bought because I don't think it was even intentional, but sellers are liars in the sense of like, they'll even like subconsciously like sweep things under the rug, like tone, you know, try to tone down what problems they're having. Yeah, yeah, it's fine though. We'll get through that. And so like, you have to really, really do your own homework. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. You mentioned, we mentioned territory expansion. We mentioned mergers and acquisitions. How big of a role does capital, access to capital or raising capital, VC or IPO or just whatever, or just whatever form of capital you can bring in, how much of a role or how important has that been to you? Or was this all kind of self-funded from, yeah, from profit? So we haven't raised any money. Yeah, yeah. So it hasn't been important. I mean, it, the only thing capital does is gives you a little cushion and make, it can accelerate things. So like if I had $10 million sitting in the bank right now of someone else's money, I could probably go open four offices and just go to town versus I'm opening one, seeing how it goes, being methodical about it. And it, it really just depends on what type of business you have and what you want. Like, do you want to run your business for 20, 30 years, which a lot of people love to do? I think that concept has kind of gone away, which is funny because there's a lot of people I know that have built their wealth through keeping their business for a long time as opposed to just getting out. And they all, frankly, they seem happier. A lot of people get really bored once they sell their business and like don't know what their purpose is anymore. And frankly, like then you just set that threshold. Like whatever it is, I have friends that have sold for five million to hundred million, but that's how much money they made. And like the chances of them building the second one and doing the same thing is very unlikely. Happens, but it's very unlikely. And so yeah, it's just it's interesting to watch that aspect of it. But assuming you have a company that like we're in a stage now that again, I can grow slowly or I can grow fast. And so then it just comes down to what the capital situation looks like. Do you want to take on a partner? Because the moment you take investment, you have to look at an exit. The person's going to want their money out as well. And they're going to push for that. So you've got to have a really good, clear path to growing the thing. And then they're going to want to sell to a strategic or IPO or something. So there's two ways to go. If you go bootstrap, you leave your options really wide open. The moment you take money, you're on someone else's clock too. So you have to be careful of that. Yep, got it. How much does product or service diversification play a role in those in that type when you're talking about maintaining rapid growth. Yeah. I remember I personally I know we we started out very, very, very niche in, you know, in, in my logistics company, super niche, almost to the point where it was nauseatingly niche, right? Yeah. But then we ex- once we started growing, we expanded the niche and expanded and continued to expand that niche. How big of a role has that been for you? Because when we first started talking, you were really focused on the fractional CMO and now as we start talking, and I could be wrong, you know, you started talking about a lot of other supporting marketing related roles that you're now offering. We've definitely expanded services, but we always had a pretty broad expansion of services. That was part of our differentiator was we can come in and do the strategy and then actually execute on it. But expanding services is one thing. I mean, you, again, it goes back to those different charts of curves. Like you have to find different revenue streams, whether that's new services, new offerings, new products, new, whatever it is, you have to find other ways to continue to drive new revenue streams without cannibalizing the existing ones. Yeah. And that's, that is the job of like medium to larger business. They're always, you know, that's Apple coming out with an iPhone and coming out with the I, Apple Watch and then coming out with Apple Music. And like, 
that's the thing is you look at what your business and what customer base you have. That's the hard thing to achieve is your customer base. How can you get more of a share of wallet from your existing customer base is a good way to look at it. You know, what else can you provide them that actually makes sense with your brand too. Like we've been pushed so many times to frankly start a logistics company or start a account outsourced accounting. And like people come for us for marketing. They're not coming to us for accounting. They're not coming to us for logistics. And when they have those random questions about it, I'd much rather partner and send it to someone that we're working with. But on the marketing side, how do we continue to get a bigger and bigger share of that marketing wallet and help companies grow? And so that's, there's, a, again, a lot of ways of doing that. There's being in our business for the SMB side of our business that we serve, they want us local. So being local in more cities. For the bigger brands, getting that credibility and having a few great case studies so you can get those Fortune 100s, which we have quite a few of now. and then. Again, expanding services so that you're not just taking them for their Facebook ads, but for their email marketing and their web design, et cetera. You know, I've been able to have, offer that value because on the consumer side, they want that. They don't want to have to seek around for all these different offerings. They want to come to one place. The more you can take care of all their needs, the better. That's yeah, perfect. In a nutshell. No, perfect. Is there anything else you want to add about, you know, this whole maintaining rapid growth at scale before we follow up on a couple of questions and we'll wrap it up for today? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the main thing you nailed is plan ahead. Like, that's the mistake I made. I didn't plan ahead and now we're caught up and it's great and things are growing. But I went through a painful year because I didn't plan ahead. And so I was trying to maintain this business that I was surprised I even made it. Because again, I sent this lofty goal for four years and we actually hit it. And I was all too busy, like almost in shock to realize, oh, it's time to go. Like, we gotta, we can't just do what we did before. So that's the other piece I was gonna say is, you know, there's a common phrase, which is what got you here won't get you there. Like, understand that that is too true. But you also need to maintain what got you here. Meaning like a lot of people will get into growth phase and forget about their bread and butter and fall apart. So don't get too overzealous. Don't forget your core business, but then start to build off of it. Love it. All right. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up with a couple of questions and then we'll close it out for today. These are questions, kind of interesting questions that I thought of first time I've asked on the podcast. So you're going to be the guinea pig. So I hope, I hope, I hope you don't mind. So what's a unique skill that you have that has helped you to grow Hawk Media. What's something unique about you, a skill you have that you think has been paramount to you guys getting to where you've been able to get to? Yeah, I think communication is a, and I don't mean, I'm a, I'll get into more detail, but I seem to have a unique ability to really talk in layman's terms and explain things logically. So draw the line for people. So it's like, when it comes to marketing, most people that come to us don't know what marketing is, but I'm not going to sit here and sell jargon and like sell over their head. I'd rather explain to them. Like when someone tells me, I don't get it, but don't worry about it. I do worry about it. I'm like, no, I want you to understand what, how this works because it's not that complicated. And most people want to make it seem complicated. So let me explain to you what Facebook ads do and how they work and why people buy through them. Like I like to actually like dumb it down and explain why all this stuff works. I seem to have the ability to do that, that I can take, uh, you know, take my parents who have no background in digital anything and are in their 60s and don't barely use Facebook. And I can be like, hey, this is what I do and how I do it, and why it works and what's going on. And like those being able to explain that to our clients has been a massive part because it builds trust. If you're trying to sell someone snake oil and like just throwing a bunch of smoke and mirrors out, a lot of smart people get turned off. Those companies end up with all the uneducated clients that don't know better. But the people that actually know better in business and are savvy go screw this. If I don't understand it. I'm not doing it. And so for us, we've gotten a lot of great, amazing companies to work with us because they go, oh no, let me explain why this works so well. And they get it. Love it. Perfect. Now we're going to flip the coin. What's, what's one thing you suck at that would surprise most people? <laughs> <laughs> uh, visual aesthetic. I am I, like, when I'm looking at design, the only class I failed in college was aesthetic architecture. So like trying to determine whether something was art and <laughs> or optic, like 
even when we're doing design, like people will say like, I love the logo or I hate your logo or whatever. I, I don't know. Like to me, I'm very logical. So when it comes to that like art side of it, I'm not very good. So I hired people that are and surround myself by people that are much more of that side. But like, yeah, if you ask, I can't draw for crap. I can't design anything, you know, but I understand enough in how to use it. Yeah. That's why you and I are right here. Cause I'm the exact yeah. same way. All logic, no, no design. So yeah. perfect. Well, listen, my friend, listen, I really appreciate it. Congrats on all the success. I think you were just ranked by Adweek as the yeah. top 100 oh. agency, right? I read that. I forgot to mention that before, yeah. but just so everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. I, do you, I, saw the, I saw the release. So you guys just, just were ranked in the top, top 100 agencies by Adweek. Yeah. So that's huge, right? So I mean, yeah. that's just validation on top of validation. So congrats on that. Congrats Thank on the Inc. 500 once again. Let everybody know how they connect with you, learn a little bit more about Hawk Media, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah, super easy. It's just at or slash Eric Huberman on any social media platform. So E-R-I-K-H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N on any social platform. Awesome. And I'll make sure I put a link to the Hawk Media in the show notes as well. And uh, have an awesome day. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. And uh, make sure you guys tune in for the next episode. Thanks for having me. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.